We've been in a series on, on holiness, and we've spent a number of weeks really talking about the holiness of God, how he is set apart from his creation, how he is different from you and me, how he's different from really anything in creation. And we, we've touched on it a bit, but the reality, the truth is that because God is holy, the people of God must also be holy. Because God is set apart in creation, and that has implications for the character that he has, the way that he lives, the, the attitudes he has over things, that ought to flow into our lives as, as believers. And one of the, the greatest expressions of God at work in your life is the holiness of God expressed in your life. Amen. And so I want us to think about what that looks like today. And I want to encourage you that, that in fact, being a Christian, it really is God's intention to make you a holy person. We're going to talk about it in the scriptures, but God didn't just save us as, as fire insurance. You've heard people joke about that. It's, it's the get out of hell free card. But that's, that's a, a hugely narrow and reductionistic view of what God has intended to do in Jesus Christ. And it, and it limits and undervalues the sacrifice that he made. No, God wanted to make a people who reflected his greatness as expressed in his holiness. God has saved us so that he might set us apart. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's stand together. We're going to read Colossians chapter 1. Verses 21 through 23. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you recognizing and remembering that you are set apart from all other creation, from all creation. That you are distinct and different and greater than anything else that, that exists. And God, we recognize from your word that you call us to be holy. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, as we think about our Holy Savior, that we would be lifted up to pursue holiness in our own lives. God, I pray that you would bring conviction of sin in order that you might bring redemption and repentance. God, I pray that, that the words that would bring discipline would also bring hope. And God, as we consider holiness, Lord, that it would be something that, that encourages us to step into all that you've made us to be and isn't a boundary limiting our freedom, but actually is the thing through which we can receive the greatest degree of freedom. I pray these all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. So as I said before, God saves us to set us apart. God saves us to set us apart. 
Now, you may have gotten into this thing because you understood that you didn't want to experience the condemnation of, of hell, and, and you, you understood that, that people do bad things, and there's a consequence, and you don't want to fee, you know, experience that consequence. I remember when I was a kid, I just there was a moment where I, I don't know if it was a sermon in a church or if it was something that hit me when a, my parents read the Bible or something, but I was, I was weeping, and I was like, I don't want to go to hell. And, and that, is, that is a proper response. That's, that's, it's not inappropriate to want to avoid that. But, but sometimes, for those of us who have especially grown up in the church, we, we kind of, we hear that, we have a moment of, of trusting God and believing Him, and, and we, we put our hope in Him, and there's this sense of assurance that, that comes over us, and we're excited, and we're like, great, I dealt with that issue. And then we begin to move on in our lives and, and we use language of getting on to deeper things or bigger things or better things. When in reality, God has saved us in order to make us holy. He's saved us to set us apart. So we're going to look at this text, how it talks about, first of all, who we were prior to trusting in God. And this is, this is the, the testimony of who we all are, although he's talking to the Colossians. We're going to talk about who we were what Jesus has done for us, why he has done it, and how we can be sure of all of this. I'm not going to teach you anything new. I'm, going to preach, I'm not going to preach anything unique or novel, but it's important that we hear it because we are a forgetful people and God invites us to remember who we are, what Jesus has done for us, why he has done it, and how we can be sure. But why would we even need for God to save us? Why would we even need for God to save us? Look at verse 21 with me. He says, talking to the, the Colossians, And you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. These people were terrible. These people were terrible. And, and we might read this and say, man, I'm really glad that Paul's dealing with them, dealing with their junk. Because it's, it's clear that they, they need to be dealt with. Uh, and, and we might live our own lives thinking that way. You go to work and, and you've got Bill and he's, he's, in, he's a sales guy and he is obnoxious and sinful and you just know that he is the worst. And I'm being somewhat facetious. Some of you are like, there's no real Bill. I'm not really talking about a guy named Bill that I know. Uh, but, but we have those individuals who we, we set as the standard, and, and if we're just right above that standard, we feel good. But no, Paul says that you, I, we were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Um, have you ever heard someone say, it, it's just a scratch? It's just a scratch. You know, maybe you heard it from your dad. He's out working. Uh, or or you, maybe you said it yourself on a project at, at home. Uh, the, you hammered the wrong nail. The nail was your thumb. Or, or the screwdriver slipped. Have you ever done that? Working on your car and you're putting pressure on it and then all of a sudden you've got two problems. You've got to change the oil and uh, get a tourniquet. Um, and you're now looking at this fresh gaping wound, but someone else is there and it's, it's just a scratch. It's fine. I'm okay. But you know that it's much more. That, that's what our situation is before God. We like to think, eh, it's just a little sin. It's just a little sin. It's not a big deal. Everything's okay. 
And God says, no, it's, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. He says that we're alienated. You know, in the beginning, Adam and Eve, they, they, we don't know exactly what it looked like, but they walked in the garden with God. It says that, that God formed Adam out of the dust, that he, he built Eve, that he was intricately, intricately involved in their creation. And, and there's this sense that there was an intimacy that was, that was, that was there was nothing in the way. There were no obstacles to them hanging out and spending time together. There was no awkwardness. There was no pause in conversation because I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to connect. No, they were fully connected with God. And yet we see in chapter 3 that they, they choose their own way forward. They choose their own wisdom over against God's wisdom. They, they eat the apple. or not, I say that. They eat the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they sin, and what happens? They're, they're separated from God. And if we were to go, you can go there, you don't have to. But if you go to Genesis chapter 3, um, verse 8, it says there's, there's this interesting response when they hear God coming. And it says in verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God. Now, if, if relationship was good, they might be saying, oh, well, c- come on in, God. Come to the garden. Let's hang out. Spend some time together. How was your day? What was the highlight of your day, God? No, but it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They were separated from God. And, and isn't that our response when we, when we wrestle with this idea of sin and we don't come to God through Jesus Christ? You know, perhaps you're here and you're thinking about Christianity, you're not really sure, or, or maybe you grew up in a church and, and, and to you, Christianity is just, I was born in a church that went to church, or sorry, I was born in a family that went to church. But then when we begin to talk about things that are uncomfortable, how is your life, how, how are things at work, how are your relationships, you know, do you lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery? Look at the Ten Commandments, and, and you begin to have these personal conversations. All of a sudden, your hands begin to sweat, and you want to go to a different room. Because there's this impulse in all of us to hide. And apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ, apart from what God does, we're alienated from God. We're separated from God. We're distant from God. We don't want to approach him. He goes on, and he says... That we're hostile in mind. Hostile in mind. Another way of putting that uh, is that we're enemies of God in our mind. The way that we think puts us at odd with, odds with God. And, and again, you may not think, you know, I'm not, I'm not at odds with God. I, before I was saved, I don't know that I was at odds with God. I, I, I'm not, I certainly wasn't an, an enemy of God. But I want you to imagine that you're, you're running a small business. You know, there's this, there's this florist that I, I pass on the way home sometimes through in Leesburg, really nice florist. Imagine you were running this, this florist. You were purchasing flowers, and I don't know where they come from, but they come from somewhere, and you know because you're the florist. And you, you're, you're setting up the decor of the place, you're, you're setting out the prices, and you're, you're training your employees about this is what we want to do, this is how we want 
to present ourselves to the customers. These are the priced ranges. And you have a new, a new hire, this, this young individual who's underqualified, but you brought them in, and, and you've given them training. You said, okay, I'm going to be gone on Monday. I'm going to a florist convention. I don't know what that looks like, but it's going to be awesome. And so I want you to run the store. And you send them some emails. This is what we're doing. These are our specials. Valentine's Day is coming up. Let's get geared up. Make sure you push the, the roses. Gentlemen, Valentine's Day is coming up as a side note. Completely unrelated, but put it on your calendar. This is a PSA. If I remember to next week, I will give you another one. Do what you got to do. There's time. Okay. Um, but we're at the florist now. And you find out that rather than, than doing what th- they were told, this, this employee ignores your emails, disregards your instruction, begins telling the other employees and customers that, that really they're the owner. You can come to them if, if they have questions. And they begin to take money and, company, and, and they take the company uh, delivery truck and use it for their own personal purposes. Now, would, would their in- actions indicate that they had a, a minor di- disagreement with you, but overall thought that you were pretty much okay as their employer? Would you feel a sense that, you know, I think they respect me. We just had a miscommunication. Right. Someone knows what I'm talking about. No, this, this would be blatant disrespect. And clearly, you guys are not on the same page in a very, very dynamic way. And I use the word dynamic euphemistically. No, their actions show that they disdain you. They don't even consider your you worthy of a conversation. That's what it means to be hostile in mind. You see, when we look at God and his word, when we consider creation and what God has done, without Jesus, we all find ourselves in the place where we think to ourselves, I could have done this better. I mean, some of this is really nice. I'm, I'm happy for it. I like the stars and the, and, and, and the sun. But, but these rules, uh, you know, relationships and and morality, I think I could have done better. And, and I know that, there, that, that God wants me to treat others as, as I'd like to be treated, but, but they, he doesn't really understand my situation. He doesn't understand how those people have treated me. So I think I, I, think I have a better way. You know, I, I know God, God has said that marriage is between a man and a woman and, and it's for life, but mm, I think I've got a better way. I think I've got a better way. I like the attention that I get from others. I like, I like the feeling of, of being pursued, of pursuing. You know, I, got, I know that God has said that I, I need to walk with integrity at work. I need to, I need to be honest. But, but he doesn't really understand my situation at home. And, and he doesn't know how bad my employer is. And, and if I just take a little bit of the, the office supplies, it's not that big of a deal. That's, that's what it is to be hostile in mind. It's to say, God, I've, I've heard your word. I, I've, it's gone through my head. I've understood it, and I disagree. Disagreeing with God, is it puts us at odds with him. It says that we are hostile in mind. When we say that my sin is not a big deal, we declare that God is wrong. When we say that, you know, I, I may or may not take the, the God of the Bible seriously, we're, we're saying that ultimately we're the ones who get to determine who's in charge. 
You know, God, I, I'll let you be in charge of this area of my life, but I'm going to handle this one. They were hostile in mind. Now, if you are alienated from God and separated and trying to hide from him and you are hostile in mind, eventually you're going to be doing some, some evil deeds. And that's, that's what was going on with the Colossians. They were veering into another area. And if you were to go and search the Bible about the, this phrase, evil deeds, there are lists. I don't need to give you a list of things that are evil. You know what they are. And if you don't, Read through Paul's letters because he's pretty explicit. But I can tell you that, that if you are in the world, you've seen some of the evil deeds that we all do. And unfortunately, if you're in the church, you've seen some of the evil deeds that we all do. I talked about the acceptable things that we do, gossip, bending the truth, lying just a little bit. But there, there are so many things that we do that it would fall into the category of doing evil deeds. Everyone is very quiet, and I understand that, but I promise there's good news coming. <laughs> Family, our, our problem isn't just that we do a few bad things here and there. Our problem is that we, by, by nature and by choice, are alienated from God, separated from him, enemies of him in our mind, and because of that, enemies of him in the way that we act. That's, that's a problem. And, and I, don't to, I don't mean to make you more uncomfortable than the word of God makes you feel. If you feel uncomfortable because these words are convicting, I'm encouraging you to embrace the salvation and the solution that comes. So we go from where we were to what Jesus has done. And you who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds in a bad situation, 22 he has now reconciled in his body by his flesh, or sorry, in his body of flesh by his death. So God saw that you and I were hostile in mind, that we were alienated, separated from him, and, and doing evil things. And what does he do? He brings down the hammer. And maybe that was your parents. You, your parents saw that you were doing bad things, and, and they brought down the hammer. You didn't cross them because you knew if you did, you would not be able to walk straight for a week. No, that's not, that's not what he does. I mentioned Genesis, and what, is, what does God do? He draws near to them. He says, where are you guys? He draws near to them. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a punishment that is, is met out, but ultimately, what does he do? But he, he sacrifices an animal and clothes them. He covers over their shame. He covers over their sin. He, he comes to them. How gracious is God that, that he would see us in our mess when we're trying to hide, when we're, we're in that dark room and we've turned the lights off, we've closed the door, and he opens the door and steps in and says, hey, what's going on? He brings reconciliation. That, that word reconciliation, it's the stronger version. There are a few versions of that word reconciliation, and that's the, the stronger version. He brings a reconciliation. He, he brings peace where there's enmity, where there's dis, uh, discord, right? If, if we're hostile in our minds, then he brings us together. He comes to you. How many people do you, you know that come to you when there's a conflict? And they bring reconciliation. He comes to us and he reconciles us. And how does he do it? In his body of flesh by his death. 
He doesn't come and say, you know what, let's have a conversation. Let's, let's figure this out. But we're going to come up with an amicable solution. No, he, he comes and rather than doing any of that, he lives the life that you and I should live. He, he lives in obedience to God. He says, I'm going to do what they were unwilling to do. And then he, he goes to the cross and he's going to experience the punishment that we don't want to experience. He dies a horrible death. He's mocked. He's spit on. They, they put a, a crown of thorns on his head. They, they whip him on the back. I mean, I can't even imagine. They whip him with, with this cat of nine tails. It, it probably rips some of the flesh off. And then they crucify him. Then they put him on a cross. Then they drive nails into his hands and his feet. And he does that for me. Because I, I didn't want to have anything to do with God. I was alienated. I, I, I didn't consider God worthy of my time or energy. I was hostile in mind. And I didn't want to, to go down and live the way that God wanted me to live. I wanted to live my way. I was, I was doing evil deeds. And he reconciles me. He brings peace between me and God the Father. He brings peace between me and 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 the creator of the universe by his own death in his body of flesh. And Paul makes it explicit that Jesus had a physical existence and, and made reconciliation by his physical death. This wasn't a spiritual thing. This wasn't metaphorical. This wasn't, this wasn't hyperbolic. This wasn't God saying in, in the Bible. He died spiritually and experienced really a lot of sadness. No, this isn't, this isn't slang, I'm dead. This is upsetting. No, he died, ceased to breathe. He died. Our faith isn't a real physical person who really died. And our faith is a spiritual faith, that it, but that doesn't mean in that it doesn't touch our real physical lives. This is a bit of a side note, but we live in a society that is happy with spirituality, but is not happy with objective spirituality. What I mean by that is you can come to church and, and I can tell you about Jesus and say these, he's a spiritual God. He's created a, a reality that involves spirituality and you can pray and be connected to him and he's invisible. And you're like, yes, yes, sounds great, awesome. But the moment I say, and that has implications for how you live your life, how you spend your money, whether or not you allow your, your fidelity to, to be maintained in the context of marriage alone, the moment that I begin to touch on these physical realities, we say, oh, wait, slow down. I, I'm a spiritual person, but, but don't try to run my life. And, and, and God's word has no distinction between what we experience spiritually and what we experience physically. By that I mean there's no, there's no greater reality in our physical existence than there is in our spiritual existence. So Jesus physically died. And that has spiritual implications, but it also has implications for who we are in our whole. You can't be a spiritually good person, but physically just do whatever you want. Does that make sense? You can't say, I'm going to pray to God, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to do these spiritual things, but then on Monday I'm going to party, I'm going I'm to be with whoever I want to be, I'm going to look at whatever I want to look, I'm going to dress however I want to dress, and it doesn't matter because I'm a spiritual person, and that doesn't have any implications on, on how I live. He died, and he made reconciliation in his body of flesh. 
by his death. The cost for us to be reconciled to God was nothing less than the death of his own son. Now, if, if we're honest, we should ask why. Why would you do that, God? Like, if I look at my life and what I've accomplished, and look at Jesus and what he accomplished, he walked on water. He, at 33, he, he did all the things. And I'm 40, and I have not begun to do all the things. Have you ever had that moment where you look at your life and you're like, oh, no. How'd I get here? Oh, dear. Some of the young people are like, nah, I'm good. You're, you're not. You're not good. Trust us. No, but he was, he was 33. He'd done it all. Why? Why would he save me? What, what purpose could he have for my life? And he says that he is reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Again, family, God didn't just save you so that we could have a cool party after we die where we are all like, yay, we made the right choice. I'm glad you made the right choice. If you're in this room and you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you made the right choice. And if you're on the fence, you're not sure, you can make the right choice today. And the right choice is not to trust in yourself, but to trust in Jesus. I love that. Make the right choice. But understand that you were not saved for you. You were not saved so that you could live however you wanted now that you've made the right choice. No, he saves us to set us apart. He's reconciled us in order to present us holy, blameless, and above reproach. That word there, present, it's not just like, hey, you know, it's your, it's your sweet 16. Here you go. We're presenting you. You know? No, that word has the connotation of a sacrificial presentation. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, whenever, where, there are many places where you see a presentation of a sacrifice, and that's the word being used. In Romans 12, Chapter 1, when he says, present your bodies, or chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, he, he says, present your bodies as what? Living sacrifices. The word there, present, is the same word here. He's saying that God saved you to present you as a living sacrifice, to present you as an offering. And what does an offering need to be? If we were to go back to the Levitical system like we talked about, the lambs, the goats, the bulls that had to be sacrificed, they had to be holy, set apart for God. They had to be blameless, blemishless, we'll say. And above reproach, which isn't connected to the sacrificial thing, but it has to do with relationships. But he has called us to be sacrifices. And this, family, this flies in the face of all of, of, of the air that you're breathing. You are not called to live your best life now. You're called to live whatever life he's called you to live. And, and, I, and I don't mean that like, you know, well, God's made me really good at, at marketing, or he's maybe great at, at mathematics, or he's, you know, I'm, I'm trying my best. To, that's great. You know, God's given us all talents and abilities and gifts and, and lean into those things. But we don't self-determine what the end point is. This is where we say, God, I'm offering myself as a sacrifice. How do you want me to live this set-apart life? He says, present yourselves as holy. That word means dedicated to God, set apart for God, pure, reverent, we're called to be holy, blameless. Now, each of these words, there is some overlap with the other ones, but he's trying to lay it all on us. 
blameless, without blemish, as I said, a, a perfect sacrifice. You know, you don't, when, when, when guests come over, you don't offer them the leftovers. Well, hopefully you don't. You're not like, well, let me look. We got a, a half full bag of Doritos. You want those? I mean, if you're in college, you do. You're like, this is what I got, man. It's this or boiled eggs. They're real cheap. Anyways, that was my college. Um, but no, we offer what, what's best. We offer what's, what's whole, what's complete. You know, the, the, it's a funny thing when a little kid takes a bite out of an apple and says, do you want this? You're like, I did. <laughs> not anymore. It has a blemish. It's not, it's not blameless. Blameless, without fault, worthy of being sacrificed. And, and I want to say here, family, we don't make ourselves worthy to be saved. But once we put our trust in Jesus, it's important that we live lives worthy of the gospel that we believe. I'll say that again. We don't make ourselves worthy for God to save us. But once he does save us, we ought to live lives that are worthy of the gospel that we believe that don't call into question the holiness of God, that don't make light of the sacrifice. Holy, blameless, and he says above reproach. That means that we're, we're living in such a way that no one can bring a charge against us. Unambiguously beyond reproach. There's no question mark. Living in such a way that no one can lay blame at your feet. That's, that's what God has saved us for. And as, as we're thinking about this, I want you to answer this question. Whose, W-H-O-S-E, whose are you? Jesus died not only so that we'd be saved, but that, so that we'd be set apart for him. Again, going back to, I don't think people do that as much anymore, but, but those of you who grew up in my generation and older, you had desserts and you had rooms that were for guests. They were not for the children. Like I remember we had a couch, and it was, it was like white. It had like flowers on it, but it was pristine. You know why? Because it was set apart for someone else. I wasn't sure at the time who it was set apart for, but it wasn't me. And, and maybe you grew up, you had that room, that parlor, the visit. You know, if you're from the South, it's, we're going to go visit with so-and-so. We're not going to like visiting as a verb, not as going for a visit. You sit down, you talk, and... You have a nice time. And that room is pristine. It's immaculate. But it's also the room that you don't have to clean because do not mess that room up. That's for visiting. It's set apart. Jesus died so that we'd be set apart. So as, as we're talking about this, what, what does your life say about who you belong to? When you have co conversations with your coworkers, do they, do they know that you live with integrity and are submitted to someone greater than just the bottom line? Or are you just one of the guys, one of the gals? Is there no difference between you and them? At the grocery store, do your friends and acquaintances know that you're a person who honors others or, or that you're a great source of gossip? They know what's going on. When you look at your closet, your house, your possessions, are they proclaiming to God be glory or to me be glory and that, that's, that's the one for us family we, we live in a world that lifts me up social media lifts me up 
Culture lifts me up. Fashion lifts me up. Platforms lift me up. And it may not be a bad thing for you to do the one thing that you do, but is your disposition, is your focus in bringing God glory or bringing you glory? If Jesus were to make a reel, a reel for those, it's the, the film, if they were to compile, to make a slideshow, we'll say that, everyone knows what that is a slideshow of your internet and entertainment use in the presence of all, would you be proud or ashamed? Is your mind set apart for God? Or is, is it, all my other stuff is set apart for God, but my mind, that's where I can do what I want. Or in your mind, is God also Lord? Jesus did not die simply so that we could avoid the consequences of our sin. He died so that we could be set apart for him. And, and I have a sense that maybe in this moment you're saying, well, this is, Pastor Eddie, why are you being so hard on us? And, and my desire is not to be hard on you. My desire is to invite you to experience the fullness of who God's made you to be. But you can't do that if you compromise. You know, I've got a, I've got a car out, out front. Um, it is gasoline. And... Uh, if I were to go to the 7-Eleven right here, and I think they have diesel, and try to put diesel in, first of all, it wouldn't fit by the grace of God. They, they know, like, don't make it fit. Because I've seen so many people just like, the green one's good for me. Don't do it. But if I were to put that in, in the car, or, or if I were to go home and say, you know what? Gas is real expensive. I'm just going to get this water hose and just, I'm just going to make it happen, Captain. And put it in there. What would happen? I would ruin the car. I'd ruin it. It's not freedom. It's not, it's not a great uh, self-expressive thing for me to put diesel in a gas truck. It's not a self-expressive, wonderful, uh, I'm going to come into my own thing for me to put water in my gasoline car. It's foolishness. Now, the world would like to say, guys, all that holiness stuff, that's, that's trying to keep you... Break off the, the shackles of, of, of oppression. Be you. Lean into all that you are. The problem is that that is a bad idea. And some of you know that. Because you're honest and you're like, I know who I am and no. Like, I know who I am. And if, if I turn Eddie to 11 apart from God, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. I'm going to have to get a different job. I lose my family. Not because there's something like hidden in my life, but just I know what it is to be a sinner. And, and, and I love you, and that's why I'm honest with you, that, that to be a sinner means that we have to reckon with the fact that we need to be holy. Jesus died so that we could avoid the consequences of our sin. Not just so that we could avoid the consequences of our sin, but so that we could also be set Apart for him. But then he goes and he says this really interesting thing. He says in, in verse 23, if indeed, right, he says, he's, he's you who are alienated and separate and, and, and doing hospital things, he has reconciled you, dot, dot, dot. If you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, 
not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. How can we be sure? Now, you may have grown up in a church where holiness was just externals. Holiness meant, you know, the, the ladies wore hats and, and the men wore suits. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything negative about that within and of itself. If, if that's where you come from, praise God. But, but in some cases, holiness was, was just outward. It's just the things that I do. Because the thought is, well, I know that God's reconciled me because look at how awesome I'm being. I know God's reconciled me because look at the way that I'm living. But what is Paul saying here? He's saying, no, you can know that you're reconciled if you what continue in the faith. He's not just saying in your faith. He's saying in the faith that's been established, in the trust and, and, and the belief of what Jesus Christ accomplished. You can know that you are reconciled not by the works that you do, but by the person you trust. See, the, the, what people have called the legalist view is that I know that I'm reconciled to God, that I'm, I'm connected to God because of my personal holiness. You know, for, the, for the theologians in the room, that means my sanctification leads to my justification. That's wrong. That's wrong. We don't do things to become accepted by God. But, but then in our culture, and I think more widely, there's another view that says, I know that I'm reconciled to God because I believe Jesus died for me, so I don't need to pursue holiness. Jesus died for me, so it doesn't matter. Or, or as I said before, this is a spiritual thing, so it doesn't matter what I do in my body. It doesn't matter what I do on Friday night. That's, that's the license view, but the gospel view is that I know that I'm reconciled because I trust Jesus and his work on the cross, so I will pursue holiness. I'm not going to trust in my holiness, but I'm also not going to avoid pursuing holiness because I know that my God is good and holy. And if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then you will pursue holiness. But if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're not going to trust in that holiness. You're going to trust in the faith that is stable and steadfast, and you're going to become stable and steadfast, shifting from the hope of the gospel. See, the reason I think that he puts in this, or at least one of the reasons I think he puts this in here, is that if your hope is in your ability to be holy, you're going to be really hopeless very quickly. And this, is, this, is, uh, this is why New Year's resolutions are a bummer. Right? They're awesome on January 1, and I'm right there with you. I'm like, let's read more, do bad things less. Exercise, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't do anything this year. But, but by February, you're like, oh, I guess I'll just be me. <laughs> right? And that, that's, that's what it is. That's holiness that isn't attached to the power and presence of God. That's holiness that tries to trust in holiness. Right? If, if you go out today and you're like, okay, I'm just going to be a better person. Right, giddy up. You will experience difficulty at lunch. Your, your waiter is going to just frustrate you. And you will realize, I am not a holy person. But let me encourage you, when that happens, just acknowledge it. God, I'm still working through the things where I'm alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But I thank you that you reconciled me. And then you get back up on that holiness horse and you try again. And you don't trust in your ability to be holy. 
but you trust in the God who allows you to get back up. Paul tells us that we can know that we're reconciled by trusting in the hope of the gospel, the gospel which they had heard, which had been proclaimed, which Paul had received. It was this good news about not me, not how great I am, not them, how great they were, but how great Jesus is. That he, God became a man. He took on human flesh. He lived a perfectly obedient life, a holy life. And yet he died on the cross for my sins, for your sins, in our place. And he rose again from the dead because he was innocent. Death couldn't hold him. He defeated, he defeated Satan. He defeated sin. He f- defeated death. This is the good news for us. And if you've never trusted in that good news, I'd invite you to do so today. God has a desire for us to be holy. That, that was the initial design of all of creation. Adam and Eve were to create a holy people. They were to multiply over the earth, subdue it, create holy culture. And God's doing that now in his church. He's raising up people who are holy, people who are set apart from him, people who are blameless. Their lives are are blemishless, they're pure. People who are above reproach. There's, there's n- nothing that someone can say about us because we're living in, in such consistency and alignment with God's word. That's what God's called us to, and it's a good thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, we thank you for your pre- provision, your reconciliatory work. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to go to the cross and die on our behalf. And God, I pray that you would help us to be holy people. That as we, as we remember and we reflect on and trust your gospel, that you would help us to do the work of pursuing personal holiness. Not trusting in that holiness, but trusting in you as we seek to be holy, blameless, and above reproach. God, as you're dealing with us, would you grant us grace? Lord, I thank you that it's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. If you're in this room and and you know that God's at work in your heart, that he's maybe putting weight on something, something he wants to see change in your life, something he wants to see you do, something he wants to see you stop doing, would you just raise your hand? It's great. Just pray with me. God, I submit to your work in my heart. I I, want to be faithful to do what you've called me to do. And if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you want to do that, would, would you let me know by raising your hand? Great. Would you put that hand up? You can put it back down. Pray this. Jesus, I trust you. Help me to live in a way that shows that I trust you. In Jesus' name.